Stephen Kerber is the director of UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute. Stephen has led the research with the fire service in the areas of ventilation, structural collapse, and fire dynamics. Stephen is a 13-year veteran of the fire service with most of his service at the College Park Fire Department in Prince George's County, Maryland, where he served at ranks up through deputy chief. He received his bachelor's and master's degrees in fire protection engineering from the University of Maryland, Go Terrapins, and is currently working on his doctorate at Lund University in Sweden. Stephen has also been appointed to the rank of honorary battalion chief by the FDMY and was named 2014 ISFSI and fire engineering George D. Post Instructor of the Year. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Uh, for our listeners that don't know much about UL, give us some context on the two different arms of UL and, and what they what they do. Absolutely. So UL's turned 125 years old this year, so we've been around for a really long time. And actually, uh, our history goes all the way back to the fire service. Uh, our founder, William Henry Merrill, uh, actually started UL in the hayloft of a Chicago fire patrol station in 1894. So Chicago was hosting the World's Fair, and uh, electricity was being introduced. And electricity was causing fires all over the place, and they were threatening to shut down the World's Fair. Uh, so our founder actually rode around with the, at, at, before the time the Chicago Fire Department, the Chicago Fire Patrol, and uh, actually investigated the fires and found out that creating standards so that people couldn't just make whatever product they wanted uh, would lead to uh, better living and working environments for people. So that's, that's led to our mission. Our mission has stayed true for 125 years. Uh, several years back, our company uh, created a for-profit subsidiary uh, that does all the testing, inspection, certification. Uh, anyone that has a UL mark on a product, uh, it's because they uh, got tested and certified and continue to get checked to make sure that product is meeting the safety standard. And in the, in the, Nonprofit, we're responsible for fulfilling that mission, and uh, one of the ways we fulfill that mission is by advancing fire safety. And one of our key stakeholders is the fire service. Uh, we've put a lot of investment into the fire service because we believe that if you have the smartest people out there and the and the the most capable folks with the latest science in the fire service, then they are going to protect the people better than we ever could ourselves. Uh, so uh, our group, the Firefighter Safety Research Institute, is dedicated to increasing firefighter knowledge to reduce injuries and deaths in the fire service, as well as the communities they serve. So that's that's our mission, and that's that's what we're working towards. That's fantastic. And, and yeah, it seems like there's this somewhat of an interesting perception of technology amongst the fire service where some people hate it, some people love it, um, but regardless, it's 2020 and technology is part of our daily life. We have cell phones, we have computers, we have tablets, and, and I think we now are at the point where we have no choice but to adopt technology. Um, but there is this balance where maybe some people look to technology as gonna solve all our problems, and then some people either adopt it and it causes, causes issues, um, or there are some people that are just stuck on doing everything the old school method. Um, so I'd love if you could maybe give some context on on how you approach this, the benefits and limitations of technology and, and how the fire service should approach technology. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Um, so I guess where I would start is that yeah, the fire service deserves the best out there. Uh, they deserve the best technology. If it can make them do their job better, safer, uh, more efficiently, then then they should have that technology. And I think uh, affordability certainly comes into play. But taking that out of the play, I mean, we've got a number of great examples out there. Um, past devices, as a, as an example. I mean, here's a here's a technology that gets created at the request of the fire service to serve a very vital purpose of alarming and notifying when a firefighter is down. And yet not, not much was known about that technology. And uh, I think back to, uh, we were doing some research to better understand a line of duty death that happened at the Pennsylvania State Fire Academy. And um, they had an instructor there that went down in the basement and it was a train the trainer course. And it was said that his, his past device didn't go off or when it came out, it, it was working later, uh, whatever the case may be. And, and this is something that NIOSH had said over a number of years where the firefighters would say, we never heard a pass device, but then NIOSH would test that pass device afterwards and it would function perfectly. So during that series of experiments, what we did is we took a number of different pass devices and put them into the basement as we were recreating the incident. And what we found was as, as those devices heated up, uh, they would be sounding perfectly, sounding perfectly, and they'd just turn off. Uh, or the sound would stop, and then we would bring them outside, and the sound would come right back on. And as you dig into it, it makes perfect sense that these past devices are made with semiconductors. And semiconductors, if you look at a silicone board, essentially it's, it's the electrons are following paths. And then when it heats up, that semiconductor becomes a conductor. And then all of a sudden, those electrons come out of those paths and kind of short circuit. So that's what was happening. As it heated up, it no longer served its intended function. And then when it cooled down, it did. And when you look at the environment, which the firefighters are relying on that technology working, uh, we found out we need to do a better job of, of keeping those devices cool uh, so that they can operate or using different technology so that they can operate the way that they're intended to and serve that purpose. Uh, thermal imaging cameras is another great example of uh, tremendous benefits, some limitations, but look at how the adoption has taken place. Look how the technology has evolved uh, as the fire service has used it. And I think a big thing that we try and do is, is understand the fire services system and the environment which they work in. So if we can do a better job of using research and science to categorize the environment and understand the environment by which the firefighters will work, then we can pass that knowledge on to the fire service, onto the manufacturers, onto the next startup, onto the next group of technologists that are creating a product. So they know that, that their device is in fact gonna work in challenging conditions. And uh, in some ways, sometimes the standards don't, don't replicate those conditions well because they have changed over time. They've evolved quite a bit. Uh, as we've introduced synthetics into our environment and uh, changed many of the other tools and timelines that the fire service work on. Interesting. And yeah, I mean, you, you bring up the point of really the importance of testing to understand these thresholds of technology. And even though we're given a piece of technology, that's great, but we do need to understand what 
what's the floor and what's the ceiling of operation for this. Um, and, and that's where the testing really is important. So fire departments or firefighters or, or really anyone using the tech knows what are these parameters of where I can actually use the test, the, the tech. And, and I think too that that also should drive the industry to really design technology designed around the worst case scenarios. Because of course, when you've got all the engineers in the room and, and there's no interference and everything's working great, you know, that's fine. But we're talking about firefighters who are putting their lives at risk going into a smoke-filled burning building. That is what you need to design for. Um, so what, what would be your thoughts on in terms of if you were talking to technologists or if you were talking to someone that was designing a new product for the fire service with new tech, um, what, what insight would you have for them? The, the biggest thing is understanding what the firefighters work environment actually is. And in some cases, sometimes the firefighters aren't the right people to talk to about that. Uh, we've, I mean, I personally have been studying firefighters full time for almost 20 years. And uh, I can't tell you how many times that as we pass on basic information about the firefighter work environment, even the firefighters, they're blown away uh, because we, we can measure things and video things that they can't experience. Um, so it's, it's a constant learning curve. Um, at the end of the day, it's a, fire science is actually pretty simple when you, when you boil it down and, and put the pieces together. But it's very important that we understand that, that firefighters can't train in a realistic environment, a uh, completely realistic environment. Uh, NFPA 1403, the training standard, because so many firefighters have died in training, has limited itself to wood-based products. So what we'll see very commonly is that technology, new technology will get taken by the firefighters where they can take it, which is into a training building. And if you've got pallets in the corner of a concrete training building, you can do nothing but create a fuel-limited fire condition. You can create heat, you can create some smoke, but you can't create the environment which is going to be created by furniture and synthetics in gypsum board lined houses. Um, so what can come out of that is a product that may work very well. It might be firefighter proof. It might be able to, to get beat up and dropped and kicked around and wet and everything else, but it also works in a training building. But then if you were to take that into an actual fire environment where the radiation is different, the conduction to the device might be different, uh, whatever the case is, the soot is going to be different. Um, so all of those things could create a false sense of security. So as we've studied fire dynamics, that's one of the biggest things that we've, we've had to pass on to the firefighters is that in many ways, their context, having never been to a fire before, is how a fire grows in a training building. So if you go into a training building and have pallets in the corner, any amount of windows you open, conditions are going to get better. And if conditions continue to get better, the visual takeaway is I want to open all the windows as quickly as I can all over the place because then I can see, then I can go ahead and stretch my hose line faster, I can search faster, all of those things happen better. So the takeaway is vent early, vent often. You go ahead and take that same practice onto the fire ground and you have a ventilation limited fire, which means the fire starved for oxygen and it's limited in size based on how much oxygen is available. And you start opening more doors, taking more windows, that fire is just going to increase in size. Um, so the same thing for the folks that are creating technology is 
understand the limitation of that training building and uh, think about ways to get that technology into a realistic environment. Also, while not strapping it to firefighters that are going to fight an actual fire, um, if they need to rely on it in any way, because that's another thing that we, it's not fair to do. Uh, you can't just field test something and give firefighters something new that they're going to deploy for the first time when their lives are at stake and civilian lives are at stake. Uh, really a research environment might be the best test bed to, to get started there. And, and when I say research test bed, I mean, that's where my team is a little bit different than what people might think of when they think of research. Uh, for us, in many ways, research is very applied. So our team has spent the last 10 plus years uh, burning buildings and measuring fire in buildings. Uh, as an example, as part of our coordinated fire attack experiments uh, this past year, I mean, we've burned down strip malls, garden apartments number of single-family houses of all types, shapes, sizes, fuel loads, uh, all of those things with the fire service all over the country. We use technical panels of, of firefighters that uh, are a pretty good cross-section of firefighters in the United States, ranks, geographies, department sizes, skill sets, uh, you name it, and we do our research with them. They're a part of it. They're part of the design. They're part of figuring out where to make measurements. Um, so that when we do learn what we learn coming out of it, uh, that they're right there with us to get that information out and disseminate those results to the broader fire service. Well, well said. And, and one, one point that you brought up uh, was the aspect of training. And I know that there's been all the different unfortunate uh, circumstances where we've lost firefighters in training scenarios. So we need to, we've, we've, we've changed a lot of how we train. But I know there's been a, there's also been a big rise in, different training tactics that aren't replacing real training but complementing training and in particularly that that involves different virtual reality training around um, whether it's 360 video or cgi based content to help with um, let's say fire fire dynamics or scene size up um, do you see um, sort of that type of training as an opportunity to maybe create uh, the, op the learning opportunities for firefighters to to learn what it might actually look like even though it's virtual and it's not physical, do you think that kind of training can help complement the, the pallet wood kind of confined physical training or what, what are your thoughts on that? More training is always good as long as we can make the training um, accurate enough to not be misleading or put it in the context in a way that it does not become misleading. So we're all for uh, whatever we can do. If it's AR, VR, you name it. Um, we'd love to work with some of the folks that are trying to deploy some of those technologies. Uh, some of the early stuff that we've seen is uh, in many ways it lacks in um, realism. Um, and that's, that's really hard to do, but I would say we, we've become experts in cause and effect relationships. So uh, what does the fire look like? Um, what happens if you do this? If you, open this door, break this window, the fire's here, the fire moves there, fire goes to high, high pressure to low pressure. Uh, this is what the smoke looks like. This is how the smoke moves. If you're in the flow path or out of the flow path, what does that look like? Um, and, and we've benefited, the research has benefited tremendously from technology. Uh, we put 360 cameras in just about all of our experiments. 
So if people were looking for 360 video footage of what an actual fire looks like burning actual furniture, uh, we could share that. We could provide that and, and connect that with people so that they can uh, start trying to make these visuals better. Uh, now, as far as all of the other things, um, all of the other called physical fidelity components of, of how does it feel and pulling hose lines and all that other stuff, uh, there's been some great uh, movement in that space as well. So uh, we're here to support, and uh, all of our information is out and publicly available. Uh, part of our mission for what we do is that our stuff needs to be publicly available for everyone to see and everyone to use. So uh, maybe some of your listeners uh, that are moving in that space, we could possibly talk with or partner with and, and help uh, at least provide our side, which is the fire environment measurement side, which includes video to be able to uh, pass that along so they can improve their products. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I'd love to look at those videos and share with the community. It seems like that those kind of 360 videos, even though it's not necessarily tying into the physical fidelity training, those are the videos where if you have done a controlled structure burn and you actually are burning synthetics and doing these things, and actually really capturing what the fire looks like, it would be really valuable to be able to watch that in a virtual headset and then have a trainer talk to a student about the different, all, all those different things you just talked about from the, the smoke patterns and high to low pressure, um, just because like you said, more training is better. It shouldn't be misleading, but a real video of a real fire um, can help classroom training be more efficient and hopefully uh, prepare firefighters better um, for that actual real fire that they'll experience eventually. Completely agree. And, and we've got to understand the reality is, is that um, there's fire departments that don't have a training academy. There's fire departments that have got their training academy shut down or they're not allowed to burn class A or um, even if they can burn class A, it's a very limited amount. You still the firefighters, no matter what their scenario is, cannot create a realistic environment if they're following NFPA 1403. And when I say realistic, I mean burning synthetics. Um, they're, they're, they're making real fires. Uh, in training, they're making real fires. It just might be that the, uh, the way they behave and the way they react as compared to synthetics is not going to be accurate. Yep. Yeah, and so uh, you, you mentioned a lot of different uh, items within the discussion, but just kind of sort of last general question, is there what particular research are you focused on right now, or is there something that, that's uh, top of mind in the next three to six months for you um, with a particular research project at UL? Oh, there's so many. Um, I'll say that we've been very fortunate as as our nonprofit has grown, that we've been able to grow our team. So, I mean, we've been able to hire a lot of folks and, and we now have a team in excess of 25 people that are studying different aspects, uh, many of them related to the fire service. So everything from how uh, we've got a, uh, wrapping up what I talked about, the coordinated fire attack. Uh, this is where we've traditionally burned a lot of structures in the laboratory to control the environmental conditions, to understand horizontal, vertical, positive pressure ventilation. Uh, the fire service said, you know what, now take it in the street. 
So that's where we went in and we did, and they said, take it to a different scale. So we burned garden apartments and, and strip malls and, and houses out in the street. So my, my team has a, a 30 foot trailer full of instrumentation and a very nice, uh, Dodge truck to pull it that, uh, we can pretty much turn any building in the country into a laboratory and uh, make hundreds, if not thousands of measurements in those structures to learn what's going on. So that's one project that's wrapping up right now, but you're going to start seeing a lot of reports and online training programs come out of uh, here soon. Um, we've got a big project kicking up, looking at size up and search and rescue. So uh, how you search, how you remove victims from an occupancy, uh, size up cues uh, using technology, things like thermal imaging cameras. Um, what can you tell and what can't you tell as you size up structures? So as, as we speak, uh, our laboratory in Philadelphia, we're building multiple houses uh, to be able to support this project. And that's gonna be going on over the next uh, six months or so. We'll be burning houses over and over and over again. Uh, let's see, <clears throat> cancer, um, another major challenge for the fire service. We've got a number of projects and partnerships uh, with NIOSH and Skidmore College, Illinois Fire Service Institute, where we're looking at tracking uh, the harmful chemicals out of products, into the smoke, onto the gear, onto the skin, and then into the body of the firefighter trying to understand those mechanisms and then what can be done from a decontamination perspective uh, as well as just a health perspective, whether it's cleaning wipes or barrier hoods. Um, all of these things get introduced, but not necessarily tested in a realistic environment. And we've been able to create a test bed uh, to be able to look at some of those new technologies and understand whether they're effective and how effective they are and, and how they may or may not be improved. Uh, Heat transfer, heat transfer through turnout gear is another uh, thing that we're looking at and paying attention to. Uh, linked to the cardiovascular as well as the carcinogenic risks in the fire service, making sure that uh, in many ways the standards that have been created for PPE and firefighter equipment uh, may not be as representative of the fire environment as they need to be in order to truly characterize those devices and that gear. So we're looking at possibly making improvements there based on what we've learned from burning all of these structures and looking at the environment that the firefighters are going in. And I think that's another key point to your audience is that uh, the speed at which things change and uh, understanding that a firefighter can go from uh, in the inlet of a flow path and be perfectly fine, perfectly fine, cooled off, cooled off, cooled off, and then in a flash of environment. Um, in many ways, it's not always a gradual transition, particularly with synthetics. As smoke uh, is produced, uh, smoke is unburned fuel, which means the smoke it goes into a gaseous form and is able to burn again in possibly a different location, which is why these changes happen so rapidly. Uh, so for those developing technology as predictive tools and things like that, um, it's not a linear algorithm. It's, uh, it needs to be much more responsive and it needs to match the decision-making time that the firefighters have available to them in order to be useful and to be effective and to be trustworthy, which is uh, a really key component. So uh, wildland urban interface, uh, smoke explosions, uh, everything down to the 
fire investigators. We've got a number of projects looking at the impact of heating and ventilation and air systems to fire patterns and how fire moves in the structure. Uh, fire modeling, uh, using that technology to make our experiments go farther and truly understand what's going on. Uh, see sprinkler systems and public education campaigns is another thing that we we spend a lot of time and effort on. Our close before you doze campaign, getting out the importance of closed doors to civilians surviving fires. Uh, smoke alarm campaign. Uh, a lot of people know that the the smoke alarms of today uh, will not be on the market in a couple years, uh, or say maybe a little more than a year. Uh, the traditional ion and photo detectors in smoke alarms um, are not as effective at uh, avoiding nuisance alarms as they could be. So UL has changed its standard so that uh, all of the alarms that will be on the market uh, sometime in the near future will be all brand new technology and uh, have multi-sensor capabilities and be much better at uh, telling the difference between an actual fire and a cooking nuisance alarm uh, that could happen. So uh, huge advancements in technology there. And uh, we're pretty proud of, of doing the research behind that to prove that it could be done in the need to be able to move that forward. And then getting all this information out to the fire service. We do fire dynamics boot camps. Um, we just finished with Philadelphia. Uh, we trained 100 of their firefighters, and they're going to train all 2,500 of their firefighters over the next year in everything we've learned about fire dynamics. And we have a we launched a new learning management system. So leveraging uh, online technology, we we customize the learning management system so that every firefighter in the country can get at our online classes for free. They can assign them to their departments. They can track their progress. They can print certificates. Uh, all of that is freely available to them. And uh, there's actually a great course on there about fire measurement and heat transfer. So for all of the listeners out there that want to learn more about how to measure fire and uh, what that means, uh, we've got a nice online training course that's uh, free and out there. I feel like I'm rambling. That's we've got a lot of projects. That's about a third of them. I I love rambles and rants. That's that's the kind of how I live my life. And I, I really everything you said. Frankly, we could have a a ten to twenty the hour long discussion on all of those different things. And frankly, I'd love to to get more in the weeds uh, in another podcast around smoke explosion, wildland urban interface, the public education. All that is so valuable and important. Um, and, I, and I really thank you for all the work that you're doing leading at UL. Um, and, and just to kind of to, to close it out here, um, you, I, I can provide show notes, um, so I can, you can send those to me later, uh, later if possible. But if, if people wanted to get in touch uh, with UL or, or find you uh, or, or communicate with you, what, what would be the best way or what would, be, what would you say is the best um, links or a action items for our listeners to, to follow up on this? Absolutely. So all of our fire service related uh, content is at ulfirefightersafety.org. That's our website. Uh, we also have closuredoor.org for all the public education stuff. Um, and we've got smokealarms.ul.org. Um, all of this you can find at ulfirefightersafety.org. Uh, we also have ulexplorelabs.org. 
uh, where if you want to learn about the science of fire and uh, how to become and what it's like to be a fire investigator, uh, we actually built a interactive fire forensics module uh, geared towards uh, middle school students. Um, however, uh, FDNY fire investigators use it. Uh, so it's, it's great for anyone to get in there and learn the basics of fire, uh, things about flow path and how fires grow and spread. And then you get to do an inter, uh, one of our engineers, Dan Madrakowski walks you through how to do a fire investigation using the scientific method, uh, and showing actual video footage and data. And then the students get to go ahead and do an investigation by themselves. Uh, so again, us trying to leverage uh, as much of this online technology as possible and, and video graphics and everything else to make the science of fire uh, simplified uh, for everyone out there. And then, of course, uh, we could do a whole other show on that. But we've got a Facebook page. We've got Twitter. We're on YouTube, Vimeo, Instagram. So uh, those five channels we update almost every day. So you can see what we're up to. And uh, again, our, our mission is to be open. Um, everything we do must be available to the public. So I welcome all of your listeners to hopefully take advantage and uh, catch up with the, the last 10 years of what we've been doing. Steven, it's really been a pleasure. And, and thank you so much for all you do in the fire service. And I commend all the innovation you're doing. So, so keep up the great work. I appreciate it. Thanks for the platform. And uh, I hope we get to talk again. Of course. Thank you. Wow, what a discussion. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed creating it. Some of the biggest takeaways that I got from that was the dynamic of don't create a false sense of security with technology. No doubt your technology has some value, but it needs to be tested. It needs to be proven. And don't just show me the test results within a lab or with your 15 engineers on staff. I want to know how the technology is going to work at the worst conditions and also the best, but we need to make sure that we're not creating a false sense of security. Um, so one great example we talked about was yeah, ventilation in some, some regards is awesome in the traditional training tactics with uh, training environments where there's wood pallets and you can open windows and all of a sudden the smoke goes out and you can see better. That's great, but we need to make sure that firefighters fully understand fire dynamic behavior to ensure that if they see it actually uh, oxygen start fire that they don't ventilate and actually make the fire worse. Um, that was one big aspect that I took from that. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was looking at the speed of change of both technology on a macro scale, but also the speed of change within firefighters on a fire scene and thinking about we need to have technology, whether it's communication, whether that's wearables, whether that's scene size up, that allows you to be able to communicate and allows firefighters and fire chiefs and incident commanders on scene to be able to do their job on scene. And it's not just a linear algorithm, it's a dynamic algorithm. It's dynamic system that can respond on the fly. Um, so that's really important to think about from software and new technology because it's not something that, again, that's going to be used in a lab environment. The fires are unpredictable. Uh, we have low uh, lightweight construction material. We have synthetic synthetic couches. We have laptops. We have solar panels. We have electrical cars. There are so many new threats that, frankly, 
we're still just learning about how they uh, how they burn and how to deal with them. Um, so just continue to always consider the worst case scenarios. Think about all these different uh, options of the different dynamics that pop up. Um, all the show, all the in the show notes, you'll see some of the links. But I just checked out Explore Labs, ulexplorelabs.org. It has so much epic content. Really encourage you to check it out. And um, definitely follow uh, UL on all social media channels. Hit up Steven on LinkedIn. And uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Take care.